GSW? Gunshot wounds. It could be caused. <laughs> I, love, I don't know why I love. We that. got a GSW. <laughs> so it could be caused by a lot of different things. My favorite thing when we're watching a medical show and the first responders bust through the doors. We have a GSW. Yeah, my first thing is gunshot wound. Like I, <laughs> I know what that is. Like I have to clarify to Shane what that means. <laughs> Welcome to the Lad Life Podcast. I'm Michelle. And I'm Shane. And together we are the Lads. Or widely known as Michane. Our passion for all things marriage, health and fitness, and the fire life runs deep. Our goal through this podcast is to share our life experiences in hopes to encourage you through any stage of life you might be in. So grab your spouse or a friend, suit up and grab your pre-workout as we share the Lad Life. Welcome back to the Lad Life Podcast. On today's episode, we are going to be talking medical emergencies part two. So Shane is going to cover overdoses, specifically opioids, and then he's going to cover cardiac arrest. He's going to define it in his own words, because he, he explains it way better. Then he's going to tell us some signs and symptoms, statistics, and then he will explain what happens when you call 911 for these two medical emergencies. So let's go ahead and start with overdoses, but can you tell us first what an opioid is? So an opioid is made out of poppy seed plants. So common opioids are painkillers that you could get prescribed to you like oxycodone and stuff like that. Or you could have illegal drugs made out of the same stuff like heroin and fentanyl and stuff like that. Okay. So an opioid is medical or drugs given to you by a doctor, but also heroin and that stuff? Yeah, they're illegal and prescribed drugs. Okay. Opioids is what it's made out of. Oh, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, what is the definition of an overdose? An overdose is when you take more than the normal or recommended amount of something. An overdose may result in serious harmful symptoms or death. If you take too much of something on purpose, it's called intentional or deliberate overdose. So... When people do drugs, they take too much of it. They most likely did it on purpose or they did it on accident. It could be an accidental overdose as well. They didn't know how much to take. Okay, so tell us signs and symptoms of an overdose. So these are all directed towards opioids. What else can you overdose on? Any prescription medication or any other drug. You could overdose on anything. You could overdose on water. What? Drowning from the inside. Yeah, you can it's flush weird. your kidneys out. Is that really a thing? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yes, you could overdose on anything, any okay. type of medication or illegal drug. But okay. we're just focusing on opioids because that's the most prevalent in our society. society right now. So common signs and symptoms of opioid overdoses would be shallow breathing, confusion, altered mental status, loss of consciousness, respiratory failure in pinpoint or small pupils. The most common symptom when it comes to opioid overdoses is respiratory issues. Opioids affect your respiratory drive. So if you take too much of it, you'll stop breathing. That's the biggest concern when it comes to opioid overdoses. Yeah. Is your it suppresses your ability to breathe. Hmm. That's scary. Okay, so share with us some statistics about overdosing on opioids. Would you like to read these? There's three sure. of them. Okay, sure. Hopefully there's not many big words in here. There shouldn't be. Okay. 
So opioid-involved overdose deaths rose from 21,000 in 2010 to 49,000 in 2019. It's a lot of people. That, that's just in our country. That's double. Yeah, about 50,000 people died in 2019 due to opioid overdoses. And don't quote me on this, but I would not be surprised to see if the 2020 number and soon the 2021 number is even higher than that with COVID and quarantine and all that. Yeah, it's sad. It's a lot of people. So in 2019, the 49,000 opioid overdose deaths account for 70% of all drug overdose deaths. So 70% of the people that overdosed in any type of medication or drug in 2019 were caused by opioids. So that means only 30% were not opioid involved. Correct. Wow. Any other type of substance. Wow. That's a lot. That's a huge percentage. A lot of people are doing opioids. Yeah. So the last one, 10.1 million people admit to abusing prescription painkillers, opioids, in the last year. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of Americans. That's really sad. It is. People get addicted to these things. It's high. Opioids are highly addictive. Some common opioids are morphine. Mm-hmm. So what you get in the hospital. You could hear of something called Dilaudin. Then you have fentanyl. That's actually a medication that hospitals carry, but people on the streets use it as well. It's highly potent and highly addictive. Then you could have your pills, like your pain pills, like your oxycodones and your oxy... Cotton. Cotton. So all of those are different types of opioids. When I was in high school, I tore my ACL twice. And both times I was prescribed, it was either Oxycontin or Oxycodine. I'm not sure. But my mom would not even let me have any of it because she didn't want me to get addicted. We always called her Nurse Ratchet because she would give us extra strength Tylenol. A little side note, there's a documentary out there. I don't know what it's called. That's not very helpful for anybody. But in this documentary, it talked about how people, regular old people, get addicted to these drugs because they get prescribed pain medicine for their back injury, their knee injury, whatever it may be. They run out of pain medicine and they're addicted to it now. So they go to the streets to find heroin Mm. or fentanyl or any type of drug that is related to the opioids because that's what they're addicted to. So most of these people that are dying from opioids are originally getting them prescribed to them by their doctors. Well, so if you have surgery, be careful what you take. Yeah. We'll find out what that is, and we'll put that in the notes of the podcast. So you guys, if you want to watch it, you can go back. Okay, what happens when you call 911 for an opioid overdose? We'll arrive on scene. We'll find the patient. We just ran an overdose last shift, so very fresh to me. We'll find the patient. Most likely, they're going to be unresponsive. They're not going to be awake. They're going to be barely breathing. The first thing we're going to do is check for a pulse to make sure they actually are alive. If they have a pulse and they're barely breathing, then the number one thing for us is because opioids knock out your respiratory drive is to breathe for them. Most of the time they're going to be bluish in color. Their SpO2 sat or their oxygen level is going to be very low. So we will get a BVM. The bag thing you see on hospital movies and shows, and we'll hook it up to oxygen. We'll start breathing for them. From there, we'll check their pupils because pupils are the gateway to your soul. So they will show if they took opioids. 
normal pupil response to opioid overdoses is pinpoint. So we'll open their eyes, shine a light. If they're super, super pinpoint, that is another indication of them using opioids. Which means small, right? Correct. We'll also ask if any of the bystanders, anybody around knows if they're a drug, known drug user. We're just trying to find out if that is the route we want to go down. So you ask just to get as much information as possible. We're kind of like detectives. We see somebody unresponsive. We can't talk to them. We can't ask them what's going on. So we have to find vitals. We have to look at other things. We have to talk to other people to see if that's the route we want to go down. So while we're breathing for them, have them on oxygen, normally we'll get them on a backboard, get them on our stretcher. Some people will give Narcan immediately. If police officers arrive on scene before we do, police officers in our city and most cities will be carrying something called Narcan. Narcan is a pretty much a drug that will only reverse the effects of opioids. So if you take Narcan right now, nothing will happen to you. The only time something will happen to you is if you have opioids in your system. Pretty much just kicks the opioid response out of your body. So we will administer Narcan if the police officers have not already. We could do that up their nose, a little spray device. That's how the police officers carry it. Or we could give it in their veins. If we start an IV and we could push Narcan in their veins. What's the difference between the two? Is one faster? If you go in the veins, it's a lot quicker of a response. If you go in the nose, it's a lot slower response because they have to inhale it and all that stuff. It's We wanted to get in their bloodstream quicker. So especially if they're not breathing, then how are they going to breathe it through their nose? Right. So yes, either way is great. You just got to get it on board. doesn't matter how. So IV is preferred. So once that Narcan starts kicking in, they will most likely start breathing on their own. Their color will start coming back. Their oxygen levels will go up. They'll start regaining consciousness. We try not to push too much of Narcan because one of the adverse effects of Narcan is uncontrollable vomiting. So we try not to push too much of that so they don't start vomiting and we'll have a mess on our hands. Once the Narcan starts kicking in, that's the lifesaver. Narcan is a huge lifesaver. They'll start breathing, and once normally we get them to the hospital, they're already alert and asking what's going on and breathing. So we did most of the job for the hospital staff. They'll just have to observe and make sure they don't decline, and if they need any more Narcan, they can. They'll draw blood to see how much opioids are in the system and stuff like that. So that's a quick overview of what will happen when you call 911. Main concern is breathing and giving them Narcan. So why would the hospital give them more Narcan? Narcan only has a certain lifespan, so after a while, it will wear off. And if it wears off before they have some more, he might go back to not breathing and unconscious again. So at what point do you have to stop giving Narcan? It all depends on how much opioids are in their system. Gotcha. They could do that by labs and stuff like that. So if they took a lot, a lot, a lot, they might need a couple doses of Narcan. Correct. Okay. Interesting. Yep. Okay, I have a few questions. Sure. So if somebody overdosed, is Narcan only good for, not good for, does Narcan only work on opioid, opioid overdoses? That's correct. So if they overdose on something else, Narcan will not work? Correct. Okay. Narcan only counteracts opioids. So if they overdosed on whatever other medication or illegal drug other than opioid-based drugs, 
it will not affect them at all. What is the drug that is like really just touching it? You can get it in your system. Fentanyl. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. What, what makes that so? Bad? That's a great question. I'm not sure the components of that drug, but it is very potent. So a, a very small dose of fentanyl can kill a human instantly. Wow. And they're starting to put that in stuff, right? Because it's so it's strong. It's a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. Yes. So fentanyl. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but the whole selling of drugs and stuff like that so with our fire department we took a class a couple years ago with one of the undercover cops that are now retired and talked about how this whole opioid epidemic in our country is affecting a lot of people and how these drug dealers now are not selling pure heroin because pure heroin is a lot more expensive a lot more time consuming to make they will lace it with fentanyl Mm-hmm. Fentanyl is a lot cheaper and a lot more potent. So as a drug dealer, I could sell a lot more of it and get a lot more people addicted to it for a lot less money on my part. Can still charge a lot. Correct. And it is very deadly. Mm-hmm. Fentanyl is very deadly. So you may buy thinking you're buying heroin, but it is actually fentanyl. And it's like, I don't know the percentage, but it's like 20,000 times more potent than morphine. So they think in there's the person buying it thinking, oh, I'm only doing heroin, but most likely you're not. You're doing fentanyl. Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Don't trust drug dealers. Yeah, if you hear nothing this podcast, don't do drugs. Correct. Okay. Anything else on opioid overdoses? I think that's the gist of it. Okay. What did we learn from this? Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Okay, let's cover cardiac arrest. What's the definition of cardiac arrest? I want you to describe cardiac arrest in your own terms. What is it to you? What do you think as a bystander that doesn't really know too much about medical things? What is a cardiac arrest to you? I would like to hear your answer. And no answer is wrong. And no, there's no stupid answer. <laughs> I could be answer. wrong, absolutely. So I know it's not a heart attack, so it doesn't have anything to do with their heart. Or does it? You, you keep going. You describe to me what a cardiac arrest is. I have no idea, actually. What's your best guess? Your heart rate goes... <laughs> yes, that's funny. <laughs> oh, right. that's good. It's in very simple terms is when your heart stops doing what it's supposed to do. So before you start, what's the difference between cardiac arrest and a heart attack? Great question. They are two completely different things. Heart attack, we have already talked about in our other podcast, or our medical emergencies part one. It is when there's some sort of blockage That's right. in your heart, but it's still functioning. It's still beating. It's trying oh. to do its job. It still has an electrical beat to it. It's still trying to squeeze and pump blood. What a cardiac arrest is, is when it stops. Beep. That's one form of it. And then it goes, beep, 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 beep. <laughs> That's a that's false. Oh. Yes. Okay. A lot of but medical shows get a lot of medical shows and even like regular shows get cardiac arrest wrong. So let's talk about the definition of it. Okay. So a definition of cardiac arrest is beep. a sudden <laughs> is a sudden unexpected loss of heart function, breathing and consciousness. So your heart stops, you stop breathing and you're not alive. Cardiac arrest usually results from an electrical disturbance in your heart. 
It's not the same as a heart attack, as we said. Interesting. So a heart attack, your heart's still pumping, still squeezing by electricity. Cardiac arrest is when stops. it stops. Okay. And our job start through CPR up. and AEDs is to start the heart back. So what's an AED? An AED is an automated external defibrillator. This is exactly the thing. The, the thing underneath uh, the TV is at the gym. Oh, yeah. Yep. Most all baseball Clear. fields. <laughs> yeah, those things. All baseball fields, all recreational sports complexes have them. Do you have to like certify to use those things? So, no, you don't. They're very, what? those are very vocal. You open it up and they'll prompt you, put pads on, blah, blah, blah. It talks? Blah. It talks to you and it'll show you pictures of where to put it on. And it says, analyzing rhythm. This is a shockable oh rhythm. Stand clear. This is exactly what it says. I'm charging up or whatever. It's no. like charging. Continue CPR. And then it says, ready to shock. Press button. Ready to shock. That Stand so clear. Cool. Don't touch patient. Yeah. So that's literally when in the medical shows you watch and they've got the little paddles. They're like, clear. Everyone takes their yeah. hands off and it goes. And they, everyone does. Most places, I haven't seen any places that actually use paddles. They're actually stickers that stick on the patient. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Because imagine those things are very... Yeah. They could kill somebody. Oh, wow. So if you have paddles going around and somebody accidentally touches somebody (laughs) or presses the button, that's bad. So if it stays on the patient, that's a lot safer. So yes, that's the definition of cardiac arrest. Your heart stops and just quits. Beep. Beep. (laughs) All right, what are some signs and symptoms? The main symptom... Is a loss of consciousness, so you're not awake, and you're unresponsive. So no pulse and no breathing. So that the, that's pretty much it. All right, what are some statistics? Why don't you read them? Okay. So in the United States, about 365,000 people experience cardiac arrest yearly, or about 1,000 per day. But only 46% of them receive bystander CPR. So does that mean only 46% somebody sees them in time to like? So yeah, what that 46% means is when they have a cardiac arrest, only 46% of those people actually receive CPR by somebody walking up to them and pumping on their chest until we show up. That's terrifying because I really don't know that I could properly do CPR. So when you call it into dispatch, when you call 911 and you say, oh, I saw somebody you. just fall, they'll say, does he have a pulse? If not, start CPR. If you're not certified in CPR, here's what you do. And they'll prompt you how to do CPR. The two things that will bring somebody back from a cardiac arrest, one, early recognition and CPR performed early, like instantly. And then AED usage. So the things in the gym. Correct. I'll briefly go over that real quick. When your heart stops, your blood stops flowing. Mm-hmm. And your organs need blood. Like your brain needs blood. Your heart needs blood. You need the blood to flow. But your heart isn't able to squeeze and pump it around because it stopped. So your heart is the main function that pumps the blood through your body. The only function. Oh, wow. Well, the only thing that... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So when your heart stops, your brain is starving for oxygen because oxygen is in your blood. So we need manually CPR to press on somebody's chest to act as their heart. Staying alive? 
So, yes, yeah, staying alive, staying alive. <laughs> so when you press on somebody's chest, you're actually squeezing their heart you're manually. Alive. Correct. Alive. By solely doing CPR, you will never bring anybody back to life. Oh wow! You are only circulating the blood for them, hmm. so it doesn't pull up, and their brain starves for oxygen. Yeah, it doesn't cause more damage. Correct. You want the the good stuff in their blood to circulate. That's why you're pumping on their chest. What actually starts their heart or brings their heart back to life is the AD, the clear shock thing. Okay. So if you expect to bring somebody back to life by just pumping on their chest, that won't happen. There's two parts to a heart, a mechanical side, the blood pumping and flowing, and the electrical side. So the CPR helps with the mechanical side. The AED helps with the electrical side. That was long-winded, but hopefully that cleared up some stuff. Yeah, that made sense. What are some more statistics? So this is actually really terrifying. So only 10% of individuals who experience cardiac arrest live. Correct. Only 10% of cardiac arrest victims will actually walk out of the hospital alive. Oh, my. Not a lot. Only 10%. Wow. That's very scary. So the last one is it most often occurs in homes or your residence, which is about 70%. And then about 18% happen in a public setting. So like restaurants and parks and theme parks and stuff like that out in public. And then 11% happens in nursing homes. Correct. Wow. So majority of people that experience cardiac arrest are at home. Wow. Yes. Do you think that 10% is related to early CPR? Yes. There's a lot of studies when it comes to American Heart Association. You could go on their website and read all about statistics when it comes to survival rate of cardiac arrest. It's very low. Only, as we said, 46% of people that experience cardiac arrest actually have bystanders to help circulate that blood because your brain could only last a couple of minutes without oxygen. oxygen. Wow. So. We need that early CPR. Early CPR saves lives because I know it won't bring the heart back, but it will keep that blood circulating and long enough until we could actually bring the AED and shock them. Wow, that's sad. All right, what happens when you call 911? Let's go down that call with me here of a cardiac arrest. When was your last cardiac arrest? I don't know. To be honest with you, I haven't worked a code in a couple of months now. Wow. So. Knock on wood. Don't, don't want any more. Tomorrow. Don't want any more dead people. But so a little side note when it comes to the CPR and bystanders, I know this sounds very morbid, but a lot of people refuse to do CPR. That whole forty-six percent only receive it. So what is that? Over fifty percent don't do it because they are too scared of hurting the person. And I'd it, rather be a little hurt than dead. Well, you are. They are dead. True. You cannot hurt a dead person. That's true. So whoever's listening to this, if they're like, I don't want to do CPR. I can't do CPR. It's, I don't want to hurt them. Well, because to do like real good CPR, you actually you break, break in ribs. ribs. Yes, because yeah. you have to, there's a rib cage in the way of the heart. So you have to press hard enough to actually squeeze their heart. I'm going to lose it. <laughs> so I would rather have some broken ribs and alive than actually be dead. You can't hurt a dead person. That's I'm just going to throw that out there. Because that's the number one reason why people don't do CPR. We might be having a CPR class when we're done with this <laughs> podcast. 
<laughs> the Office has a great CPR oh, episode. Oh, man. It's hilarious. If you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. <laughs> Anyways, so before we dive into what happens when you call 911 for a cardiac arrest, let me just clarify vaguely, not in too much details, of what causes cardiac arrest. There could be a thousand things from drugs to heart attacks to trauma that could cause cardiac arrest for your heart to stop. It doesn't necessarily mean just grandma dying at a nursing home, just killing over and dying. It could be caused by a car accident. It could be caused by too much loss of blood. It could be caused by... GSW? Gunshot wounds. It could be caused... <laughs> I, I don't know why I love We got that. a GSW. <laughs> So it could be caused by a lot of different things. My favorite thing when we're watching a medical show and the first responders bust through the doors. We have a GSW. Like, my first thing is gunshot wound. Like I, <laughs> I know what that is. Like I have to clarify to Shane what that means. Well, that's Anyways, good. That's going. good. So yes, there is multiple reasons why somebody's heart stops. Could be young, could be old, could be middle-aged, doesn't matter. So I'll make more sense of when I get into what we do on that call you'll kind of understand a little bit. So when we get called out for a cardiac arrest, first thing we do, we check for a pulse. We will check not on their arm, we'll check on their neck, their carotid pulse. If they're having a true cardiac arrest, they will not. we will not feel a pulse and they will not be breathing. So we immediately take, take over CPR if somebody was doing CPR. And if not, we will start CPR immediately. So we'll have some one of our guys start pumping on the chest to circulate that blood around. We'll have somebody else start bagging the patient with the BVM, that bag you see on hospital shows, hooked up to oxygen. So it's two separate things. One person is circulating the blood for the body, taking over the heart. One crew member is breathing for the patient. I always thought that CPR and the bagging thing was the same thing. That's interesting. Yeah, so the bagging is breathing for the patient, adding new oxygen to Mm. the blood, So we're taking over the patient's lungs at that point as well. So we're breathing for them, taking their lungs, and then we're also pumping on their chest to circulate the blood, acting as their heart. We do that because vital organs like your brain need oxygen, and they cannot last long without it. So we need to circulate that blood for them. So while we're starting that process of CPR and breathing for the patient, one of our Crew members will try to find somebody that's around. And you usually have like five or six. Yes. Well, when it comes to your cardiac arrest, we have a a large group. An engine and a rescue will come with us. So we'll have a a good amount of hands on hands on deck. Yes. So one of our members will go try to find somebody around. If we're at a nursing home, one of the first questions we'll ask is if they have a DNR, a do not resuscitate order, meaning if they do die, the family and the patient and a doctor sign saying you're not allowed to resuscitate them. That's their choice. Prior to us starting actual CPR, we have some rules and regulations and guidance on who is viable, who is able to be saved, who is an actual good candidate, you could say, for CPR. It all depends on how long they have been dead for because CPR is performed on dead people. They have been, they're dead. Their heart stopped, they stopped breathing, they're dead. A good candidate. A good candidate. I don't, yes. That's, that's a, probably the a best, good best like way to describe. So this is where his side note before comes into play. Like if they're missing limbs, main limbs. Or then, if their head's chopped off. Yeah, I wasn't going to say I wasn't going to say that. But yes, there's certain criteria 
if they've been dead too long, there's things that will happen to the body that we are known to look for and they're not able to be saved. So that's my side note. I don't want to get too gross and gory and nasty and stuff like that. But if the patient is viable, if the patient just had a cardiac arrest, if it was just witnessed, or if they're still able to be saved, depending on our criteria, we will work them. We will do CPR. We will do all of the things we can do. So if they're viable, they're a good candidate to do CPR on, they don't have a DNR, we're going to start CPR. We're going to start breathing for them, taking over their lungs, pumping on their chest, taking over their heart. So there's a lot going on. Cardiac arrest, there's a lot going on. And it yeah. has to be fast because yeah. that's like make or break. So basically everything you just explained in the last few minutes is happening simultaneously. Yes. Wow. So the next thing that we'll make sure to do is put an AD or automated external defibrillator, the clear <laughs> thing you see on shows. We actually have pads. Stickers. We'll do, put stickers on the patient two big stickers to analyze their heart rhythm. There I won't go into huge detail about EKGs and stuff like that, but there's two types of rhythms when it comes to cardiac arrest. Ones that you could shock and ones that you cannot shock. Hmm. Ones that you could go clear, boom. Ones that you cannot go clear and boom. As I said, I'm not going to go crazy details when it comes to EKGs and heart rhythms, but to clarify some stuff, because Michelle's looking at me funny right now, because she's <laughs> like, these medical shows have been lying to me my whole life. When an AD is applied to a person, the pads, to shock them, the AD is meant to stop your heart and for restart. it to restart it. An AD cannot restart a dead heart. Dead means flatline. Flatline. Correct. An AD is applied to a person to analyze their heart rhythm to see if their heart is eligible, a good candidate to be shocked. So that is called V-fib. Okay, so the squiggly line. So then what? It, then the big, fast, pointy, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down is what? That is called V-tac. And V-fib and V-tac are, are shockable. shockable. Meaning okay. your heart is doing something. It's, it's on out. its way out. It's its last ditch effort to do something. It is trying its hardest to pump blood for itself, but V-fib and V-tac are the bottom of your heart trying its best effort I'm to do so its mad. last thing. So yes, that is the difference between a shockable or a non-shockable. Shockable meaning you want to tell that heart to stop it, quit it, quit doing stop crazy. doing, quit being psycho crazy. I'll and slap you around. And then it will hopefully, hope to God, fingers crossed, it will go back to its boo-boo, boo-boo, Wow. Boo-boo. So in the medical shows, it's all just drama when it's the straight line. Correct. It's going beep, We cannot beep, shock. It's beep, you, you do not shock the asystole. Why? You're beating a dead horse, literally. Oh, It's already dead. Interesting. So hopefully that didn't confuse you guys too much. So ADs applied. We're still pumping on the chest. We're still breathing for the patient. We're kind of loading them up on our stretcher, getting them on a backboard. While you're doing all this? Yeah. Somebody's, wow. it's crazy. Somebody's still pumping on the chest, still bagging them. We're rolling them over, putting them on backboard, putting them on the stretcher, moving them around, this and that. People are screaming and yelling. It's crazy. <laughs> so when we're about to shock a patient in one of those crazy rhythms, 
we make sure we do not touch the patient. Okay, so that's still, even with the... the yes, because if you are touching some the patient, that electricity can travel through you and stop your heart as oh, well. Geez. So we make sure we're all clear. Whoever's clear. pressing that button looks at the patient and looks at everybody, making sure CPR is stopped. You are not pressing on the chest. You are not touching it at all. Shock was given. You will continue CPR. You don't even look at the monitor. We don't care about a heart rhythm change. We don't care about anything. We will continue CPR for another two minutes. CPR is done in two-minute cycles. Some other stuff we could do for the patient, we could start an IV or start an IO, which is in their bone. Oh, no. I prefer that, the IO instead of the IV for multiple reasons. But we could start those things to push medications to prompt the heart to do something to help the heart along its journey of restarting. I won't go into details what medications we push and the reasons why we push them, but we do give medications for cardiac arrest patients. Wow. We'll continue that two minutes of CPR, analyze a rhythm, shock if it's necessary until we get to the hospital or until they come back to life. And then once we're at the hospital, it's their patient now. We will load them over to their hospital bed. They will While you're still doing yep, CPR? Somebody on their team will can take over CPR, and it's their patient now. That's so sad. That, that would be the hardest part for me is just leaving. And then we wrap up, clean stuff up, and we go back and restock, and we're ready to go. So how many guys are typically in the back of the rescue when you're driving to the hospital? We typically have four. Four to five. Including the patient? Including the patient. Wow. In the back of the ambulance yes. at your station. Correct. It's squishy when we're in there just us two trying to it's, make a TikTok. It's very tight. Wow. Minimum is three because you need somebody on the airway. We need right. somebody pressing on the chest, and then we need somebody to push drugs and work the monitor. Wow. Minimum is three. Helpful to have a fourth to work the iPad. And if we want a fifth in there to help draw up medications and this and that. So more hands better so we could not slip on yeah, doing something vital. So when that happens, kind of different question, but kind of not. Are you allowed to have only one person driving the um, fire truck? So say you had three guys on the fire truck and all three of them, minus the driver, of course, are helping you. Can, he, can the driver drive that by himself or does he have to have someone with him? In cardiac arrest, the fire truck will follow behind. With the, one person With just one driving. person just driving. Oh, wow. And once they get there, they will obviously switch back. Oh, yeah, because they have to get back in there. Okay. Yep. So there's allowed to just be in the driver and Correct. the fire truck. Cool. Yep. They're, they're following us for manpower. Right. They're unavailable. Right. Yes. Well, interesting. So that was a lot of information about cardiac arrest. Hopefully that clarifies or makes you more confused, probably. No, that made a lot of sense. Now I'm just more mad at the medical shows that they flatline and then all of a sudden, beep, beep, beep. There was in Grey's Anatomy, they worked a code for like, I think like two days. <laughs> no. I, something crazy like that. But anyways, yes, that's what happens with cardiac arrest. Anything else on overdoses or cardiac arrest? I think we, or I talked a lot. You're so sweating. And I'm sweating. I'm getting a little amped up. So I think I said enough. Cool. Okay, well, we'll end it there. So be sure to be on the lookout for Medical Emergencies Part 3. If you like this, be sure to tell your friends. Give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at underscore the lad life, at underscore the Michelle lad, and at underscore the Shane lad. And we will catch you on the next episode of The Lad Life. Thanks for listening.